Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. In today's episode, Benji and I are talking to our younger selves. We're hopping in a little time machine. We don't have enough budget here at High Noon for DeLorean, so it's just gonna be like a tricycle. And we're gonna go talk to our earlier selves. And you know what? I've already recorded this conversation with Benji. It was amazing and it completely went in directions that we did not anticipate. And we got into some really deep stuff. Namely, how do we sense our value in this world in our present day? It's a conundrum that I think many people are facing and I think it will really help you if you chew on these words together with Benji and I. So let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Benji and I are here. Hey, guys. And something big's happening for Benji today. Benji, what are you about to do right after this podcast? Oh, thanks, Andrew. Man, uh, we're about to go to the to the hospital, the doctor, to check on our baby, see if it's healthy and thriving. And we're probably going to figure out the gender today. That's what they told us. So that's happening. And so, do they uh, tell you one or the other if if they know, or do they just is our doctors even allowed to say that it's they, a they... boy? I mean, I mean, I can't uh, 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 neutral, neutral. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, they, they asked us if we want to know, and then they let us know, basically. You know, with ours, it was always just like, oh, yeah, I see a little dingling every yeah, time. No I see a little dingling. <laughs> and if not, they're just assuming that it's a girl, but sometimes the dingling's floating because they're in, you know, water. Just like when you're swimming and you're dingling. Anyway, for all the ladies out there, disregard everything we just said. Well, that's exciting, dude. And do you have any, any feeling of what it's going to be? Well, I think everyone in our family wants a girl. Both our kids and my wife want a girl. So everyone calls it a girl by default, but we have no idea. Yeah, so true. we just assume it's a girl for some reason. Every single time I thought it was a girl, every single yeah. time I was wrong. Like <laughs> every time. And it's not just like a guess, like, honey, I have a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Way off. But this is your whole family. So I hope you get what you want or you get what you need. I don't know. It doesn't matter what you want. Yeah. 50-50. Come on. Anyway, exciting stuff. That's a big, it's like a nerve wracking experience, right? Regardless of how you already have two kids. It's another kid. Yeah. And for some people, it's like, ah, it's just another one. Just, just you know, another human life. But I don't know like why. wracking. It makes me nervous more than excited. And I don't know why. But having a boy for me is, I don't know how to say this without sounding <laughs> like a, like a, anyways. But having a boy is like a different level than having a girl for me. I don't know why. I think because I'm a boy. I think. And because I understand men and I feel like this huge responsibility that I'm, I'm putting on myself, right? That I need to raise him to be a man. And if it's a girl, it's like, well, at least in our experience so far in our family, raising a girl has been infinitely easier than raising a boy. That's just because our kids are like that. I don't know why. Maybe it's a birth order thing, you know, first child, second child. But, <laughs> but it's like raising a boy, if you find us a boy, I'll be like, ah, oh, you know, but I know that's just me, you know, making up, making up things in my brain. Yeah. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. Don't jump to any conclusions until you know. And so because of that, because of this, of this monumental occasion, I thought it would be apt to talk about when we first have kids, we don't know what we're going to, we have no idea how this thing's going to pan out. You have mm -hmm. no idea what it's like to be a parent until you're a parent. It's like this old cliche, but it's painfully true. It's like you have absolutely no idea what it's like on the other side of this thing. But more so even before marriage. And so I wanted to take some time to, if we could speak to our younger selves, what, what would that yeah. look like? Like, what have we learned? You've been married and blessed for how long? 12 years? Yeah, almost 12 years. And me for 10? 
that's decade plus for both of us. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of mistakes that we made sometimes repeatedly, sometimes excruciatingly to our own behest. So what does that look like? If you, if you could sit down your, your 19 year old self, have a nice cup of Joe and be like, Hey buddy, let me yep. tell you some stuff. What would you, what, mm-hmm. what's the first thing that you would tell him? Like first and foremost, young Benji. Well, let's see. Young, young Benji is a top of my mind. Young Benji is a enthusiastic, high achieving, high standard, high values, religious church going man of faith with a lot of fear about messing up a lot of fear about messing up in my relationship with my wife messing up with my porn habit messing up with everything and uh, i would probably tell him dude just relax like just relax that's what i say is he listening to you at this point or is he like bro you don't even know what you're talking about (laughs) it's a good question Andrew. benji benji from from 12 years ago is saying i know what's best i know what's best for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. And I think that's true generally every year. I, I think I know what I'm talking about. And then the next year, I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about, right? And uh, I would definitely say, you know, just like, it'll be all right, first of all. I think that's, that's the words of wisdom I would want to have from someone who, who has been through what I'm going through or what I, what I will go through, what I'm trying to do with my life and have someone just be like, just don't worry, you know, it'll, it'll be all right. You'll be fine. You'll go through ups and downs, but in the end, it'll all be awesome. And I tell them to be humble and to learn. If you have difficulty and struggles, things that you're trying to overcome, just reach out for help or search Don't online at the very least and try to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's kind of two separate statements because the first one is like, don't do it by yourself. And the second one is do it by yourself. <laughs> like search online. <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, like it, it takes me, I guess, this type of person, to, it takes a lot to like ask for help. But when I do, it's, I realize like, man, why didn't I ask for help like years ago? about this issue. You know, I should have just done something about it. But until I get there, I, I kind of feel like just like find someone online, like a mentor, like a YouTuber that you can really, really follow and, and look up to and start there and just keep growing your mindset. So how, how would that have helped if you were more relaxed for the past 12 years? How would that? Yeah. Well, I think how did you get about yourself into trouble? Yeah, I don't want to I hear your answer to this too. But I shared in the last episode, I think, kind of the bottom of my marriage, especially, which is about eight, nine, eight years ago or nine years ago, we, we started living together and in Japan. And I was putting so much pressure on our relationship to be perfect and our relationship to be flawless and my wife to be everything that I wanted her to be. And it's because I was just not chilling and just like letting, letting our relationship be, but I was trying to force it to be something that it wasn't or wasn't ready to be. And I was trying to control and manipulate the situation. And I think any form of control is, is a lack of, it's really a lack of faith of what could happen. You know, it's just trying to manipulate the outcomes of the situation. And it really is hard for God to learn to work in those situations. That's what I learned is as long as I'm trying to control my circumstances, you know, micromanage everything, and especially control other people, I'm not really allowed to let God work in that relationship, because I'm trying to manipulate the outcomes for what I want it to be. So exactly. So, so, so to exactly answer your question in my marriage, I would be a lot more like my attitude would have been, you know what, this is part of the process, like the the difficulty we're going through, the disagreements we have, the differences in our characters. This is, this is it. Like this, this is part of the process of being married and growing and fulfilling the purpose of this, of this union. And it's okay because this is what it's about. You know what I'm saying? And it's not going to be perfect and smooth and sunshines and rainbows the entire time, but it's going to have these, these little blips here and there. Yeah take some breather yeah okay for me i think 
to be honest, the pain that I experienced mostly was a lot of judging, I think, of my wife. That's expectations that I was placing on her and even judging myself a lot. I still do it. But just this idea of like, uh, what? why are you working so hard? That, you know, especially at the beginning of my relationship, I was working 12 hour days or more. And I just felt like I needed to because that's how I, I could be a good, fulfill mm. my role as a human. And then when I look back at that time, I don't know what I was doing. I know I was working hard, but I have no evidence that that amounted to anything. And obviously, I don't want to slack off, you know, and just zone out. But at the same time, it's I, I would take like one day a week off. And that one day was usually grocery shopping, doctor's appointments, all sorts of stuff, errands. So I had no day off. Mm-hmm. So I was just grinding it out. And I think... You know, in some respects, everybody needs to go through that. But especially at the when you're creating a, a relationship, it's good to really invest and let the other person know that you're there for them. Because you might think you are, but you're still getting to know each other, right? So you're still getting to know whether they feel like you're, you're there for them. And my one day off, I devoted mm-hmm. it to whatever she needed to do. So I was like, look, I'm, do- I'm doing this. It was like, but then, you know, it, it, there was no real balance. And I don't think. So it all went really quickly, but I don't think I really was able to sniff. Like one time I was going to say stop and smell the roses, but I said sniff. So let's just clear that out real quick. Like when we moved from New Jersey to California, it's a long drive, right? And I was just like, let's go, let's go. And we didn't really stop to enjoy any of the sights. There's a lot of sights to be seen between New Jersey and California, Southern California. But I was just like, we got to get there because then we got to get started our new life. And like we went through a hailstorm that almost killed us. It was like, it was insane. And I was just like, no, go, go, go. Just like no time to recover from the fact that we almost died. You know, just like, let's go. And so that was just my mentality. And again, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'd always choose being overactive rather than just slacking off and, you know, being stuck on the couch or something. But at the same time, it squeezes when you're hitting the grind. People like Gary Vee, I don't know if you know him. They just yeah, yeah. disgust me because he's a go, go, go. Yeah. So one dimensional. And even that dude, like, I don't know if you know, but he could divorce his wife and like is now has some trophy wife. And because, you, you know, he never was with his wife. Of course, that's going to he works mm. 23 hours a day. And that's like what he preaches. And he's like, just do what makes you happy. And he's like, well, I think. That's not the best way to live life. Just do what makes you happy. That's YOLO. And that don't work, yo. So anyway, yeah, that balance between working hard and also really letting the people in your life know that you are there and there for them. And because of that, I think we suffered later in our marriage Mm -hmm. because I was so intense in the beginning that my wife didn't really have anywhere to land. She's we're both immigrants, but like Canada and America are really not that different. She's from another land. I should have been more sensitive to that. And like, she doesn't know how to book doctor's appointments or dentists. Mm. She doesn't know any of that stuff. So I just wasn't there in, in a, enough, really fully present because I was yeah. just moving too fast. And that was a big issue. And I'm glad, you know, in the last few years, maybe in the last five years, especially since I started working for High Noon, I was like, I'm going to start taking Saturdays off. And the first Saturday I took off, I felt so guilty. I was like, what is this weird Mm. feeling? Like, I can't relax. But then I've been training myself to have weekends, to have sacred time. But that was, you know, halfway into our 10-year marriage that I had to make that pivot. 
So it sounds like, I mean, I can relate to some points you made about working hard and feeling a sense of value from doing that. Yeah, even my relationship with God was like, I used to pray like crazy and I was a lot more regimented about getting up early and praying in a certain way. And it was admirable. And especially because my wife was like, she's sleeping in. She's not having it. I was really mm -hmm. keeping our life of faith alive. But at the same time, the feeling I was getting was like, if I don't do this, then I'm going to lose God. It was always a sense that like God, I could lose God at any second. It was really like I had to kind of earn it and deserve it because I'm new to this whole God thing compared to a lot of people, right? So I was just like, what if it all goes away? What if it all disappears? Then I'll be sad again like I was before. That even filtered in like my life of faith was like a grind. You know what I mean? So everything was push, 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 go, go, go. It was all well, there, there's something about that quality that seemed to have changed, but also it's helpful to people to, to know, I think, what happened because you like, okay, I'll share my example. I don't know if this is relatable to you exactly, but along the same line, a lot of my value I realized, especially early on in my marriage comes from me being a good husband and being a good provider. And if I'm not that, then I feel like my worth is less and I feel like I'm failing in a sense. So I was always like, be a good husband, be a good father, grind, work hard. And whenever my, the problem with that is that, you know, the whole like happy wife, happy life syndrome that people fall into, it sounds nice. It sounds admirable, but it's actually terrifying and tormenting to have your happiness and your self-worth and value tied to somebody else. So what happened in the end is that anytime my wife was not feeling well or upset or frustrated or hormonal or anything at all, it would affect me in a, in a way that I didn't like at all. It would make me feel low and it would bring me down. It would make me feel like I'm failing as a man. And that's a lot to do with tying my worth to that. You know what I'm saying? And I know that in a life of faith too, maybe you experienced that as well, is my value somehow comes from the amount of prayer or hanukkah or XYZ that I do. It's a tricky one. So this is, this is actually, I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's leading us to the actual conversation, which is we're in a very interesting time where men are finding out what their true identity is. Before our self-worth was only to provide for our families and to basically die for our nation, right? That was, that was the use for men. There's a whole book about that. Statistically, it's like, you know, all, all dangerous jobs still to this day are predominantly done by men, you know, from firefighters to the army, whatever. But there was always some war going on. So men were always dying in droves. Right. And the higher the cause, the greater the sacrifice, the bigger of an honor it was to die for your family. So you die honorably. Now that we're not like that so much in the West, I know they're dealing with some stuff in Ukraine. Right. And actually, I know people in Ukraine, women and children are allowed to leave the country and flee. Men are not. They're being stopped and turned around and be like, you, you got to fight. Mm -hmm. So, hey, quality, how's that going? Right. <laughs> we're dealing with this in real time. What does it look like? But in the West, you know, let, let's say here in America, we don't have that burden of, of fighting wars, right? But we don't know where we fit in. Like if you're too relaxed, it is very easy to slip into depression. Like this great resignation, resignation that everybody's talking about in the news, which is like people don't want meaningless jobs anymore. They want something of value. They don't want to just work, you know, like our dads and our dad's dads. So it's not like... <laughs> Like imagine our grandpa's generation showing up to work and be like, you know, this job really isn't doing it for me right now. I'm not feeling fulfilled. They'd be like, get out, <laughs> right? Like my grandpa 
worked in a cheese factory and didn't get any retirement. And they lived off of nothing in retirement. Like they, they were okay. You know, they went mm. to ball games or whatever, but they would sneak in peanuts because they couldn't, they didn't want to splurge for the hot dogs at the ballpark. You know what I mean? Like really mm. simple, but theirs is just like very binary. Like, Hey, we got food on the table for the vast majority of people. There were the anomalies like the Alexander Graham Bells, whatever. But our dad's generation, so like the baby boomers, they were kind of allowed to experiment a little bit more because it was a boom economy. Like my dad could just go out to a job and be like, hey, could I get a job? They're like, yes. <laughs> he had no experience. He was like a manager at an engineer firm. No experience whatsoever. You know what I mean? And he did this multiple times. And just because there's this proliferation of jobs, because in the 80s especially, there was just too many jobs, not enough people. Yeah. And now our generation is faced with a different scenario that we're realizing that our career and our purpose don't necessarily need to be the same thing, but it's mm -hmm. nice, but it's also weird because if you do what you love doing, but you monetize it, sometimes it's not that much fun. So then it's like, it's a weird discussion, but it all ties to like our sense of value, right? If I'm producing in the workplace, does that make me a valuable person? Well, kind of, but doesn't necessarily make you a good husband or a good father. Does being a good father make you a good employee? Sometimes no, sometimes it makes you worse, right? And now there's women in the workplace uh, all over the place taking over so many positions. It's really an interesting time because we don't exactly know where we fit in and we're figuring this thing out. Where do we get our value from? And as faithful people, Benji, you and I are led to believe the idea is promoted that our value is intrinsic and it comes from God and has nothing to do with the amount of monetary value we, we offer in the marketplace or anything other than the fact that we're God's children. But even that's not okay. Like if you're born with all this potential and you don't do anything, that's not fulfilling. So then it's like, okay, well, what the hell do we do with all this? <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm honestly trying to figure this out. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. How does this look? But you can see how this also ties into sexuality. In the sexual marketplace, let's call it, everybody's told that you need a certain type of lifestyle. High quality lifestyle equals better quality mate. Because that was always the case is that the alpha male would get all the women in the animal world. And in the human world, it's like the richest people typically got had the most choice because women would feel secure because this guy's, he knows how to make money. So we're never going to be on the streets kind of thing. But that's also, that illusion is also starting to fade. And people are settling for quality over quantity in terms of lifestyle. Like maybe we don't need millions of dollars, but maybe I'd rather travel more or whatever, right? So everybody's kind of like in this weird position where we don't have a template for like what it means to be, to live mm -hmm. a valuable life. And like you were talking about this, this need of wanting to produce and to be perfect. And like, that's not inherently bad, but it's maybe a bad motivation, but not a bad desire, right? Like if that's what drives you, then it's going to drive you crazy because you'll never be a perfect dad at a perfect anything. But to also just be complacent will drive you to Xanax, you know, it'll drive you to right. prescription pills. Like you're just sitting around. So to be overactive, to try to prove yourself and to be underactive, mm -hmm. neither one really works. Yeah. Finding meaning, finding value. I didn't think we would come to this conversation, uh, but I'm glad we did <laughs> because this is, I think actually both of us, Andrew, you and I have pretty significant experience in this area. Like in terms of, in terms of veering off the traditional path, right? If we're saying the traditional path of life is go to school from preschool to 
university, get a, get a job, et cetera. If, if the traditional path is that, we, we're pretty far off in terms of like trying different things, doing entrepreneurial things, doing the work we're doing now, right? Helping people <laughs> with their sexual integrity and have really fulfilling marriages and blessings. Yeah. Like that's, that's not very typical. And I think it takes a lot of experimenting to come to that conclusion that this is something that is worth doing with my time and my energy. I have to say this because this has been really at the forefront of my mind is I don't think life is, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said that living without something worth dying for isn't a life worth living or something like that, mm. right? So just like having a cause is fundamental to the experience of life because it brings the best out of you. And what I've realized is that there are so many causes right now. There's so many things to get angry about or to fight against or whatever that it's almost overwhelming. And last night, I went out to see that new The Batman movie with my bro. I went out on a bro date, finally. It was cute. He snuck in uh, some candy bars, <laughs> like too many. He showed up with like eight or nine candy bars. Like, bro, what are, you, what are you expecting out of me? Like, anyway, we watched this thing. And I would say that in this rendition of Batman, and in most of them, Batman has an unhealthy superhero complex where he feels like he has to save the world constantly. And because of that, He's not able to have a, a wife or kids because it's actually fear-driven. He's so trying to get fear out of his life that he's so fearful of being fearful. It's like, it's mm. kind of layered. But there's also another, and, uh, you know, this is media, so I want to talk about media a little bit. There's a TV show called The Offer, which is all about how The Godfather got made, the movie The Godfather. And it was actually crazy. And they're like four episodes in, in like releasing it. And to see the conviction that these people have just to get a movie made. They're willing to risk their life. It's like everything mm -hmm. to them. They're willing to like just have difficult conversations, you know, do everything. And because these people don't have morals, then they get into trouble, obviously. But I'm definitely like looking for that. Like I feel that with High Noon. I think all of us do, but not to the extent that Uncle Dave has. Uncle Dave will give away all of his money in a second for this cause. If he saw that his money could equate to freedom for a certain amount of people, he wouldn't mm -hmm. hesitate. And that type of commitment of going all in is an experience that very few people get to participate in. And I've had it before and I don't fully have it now. I, I really care about my work with High Noon, as do you, as is everybody on the team. That's why we're here. But I, I wouldn't like jump in front of a train for it to that same extent. And I think that that mm -hmm. I would for my kids, like mm. no hesitation, not even close, right? But mm -hmm. to have that as like a sense of mission, something that pulls you, mm -hmm. pulls the best out of you, it's the greatest gift, but it's also kind of a curse because it's an obsession and it's like problem, it's a giant riddle. But without that, I feel like life is a mere kind of hollowed version of itself. Right. I think what I've discovered in, I mean, to be honest, let's say I feel like I'm about 80% there. In my journey, and I, and I totally relate with what you're saying, Andrew. So you jump um, in front of a train, but not your head, maybe your legs. Maybe. Like you'd use your legs. <laughs> I jump in front of like a like a motorcycle, maybe. <laughs> okay. And all the work that I do, it's like with the blessed families, BFM, high noon. It's all aligned with what I want to do with my life. You know, it's it's an avenue to helping me. It's allowing me to use my experience, and my story to help people in a way that I feel is really, really, really important for the future of mankind and also for the culture and environment I want to raise my kids in. And it's fulfilling and I enjoy it. So I think it unfolds. Like, I think nobody who ever like really found their, their one thing, like their calling, just woke up and was like, oh, that's it. Like, I got it. I think it has to be a painstaking process, not painstaking, but 
it has to be a process of figuring it out. And it's almost like a required dilemma we have. It's like, I hate my job. And I, people go to this, I hate my job right now. And, and I can decide to just keep going like this, or you can decide to do something different and try something new and see yeah. what works and just keep trying and trying. It's like porn recovery, right? If you relapse, you slip up. You only fail if you decide to fail, right? You only fail if you decide to stay on the ground and get kicked, kicked down. But you are victorious when you learn from your experience and you apply what you learn just to, to your life. That's when you win. And so if you fail at finding something that you care about and you love doing and your passion, your calling, then you only fail when you give up and you stop looking. And this applies to porn recovery, Christ, the mission, meaning, purpose. It applies to faith, life of faith. What do you believe in? That in a nutshell is the North Star goal, guys and gals. Mm. It's that burning desire for something rather than the desire to get rid of something. That's not enough. It keeps you up every once in a while because you're just wondering, how do I make this thing happen? So yeah, yeah, the sense of purpose, the sense of mission that we're talking about, that this conversation led us to our younger selves is like, I think Benji and I actually had that in us back then. And it just wasn't as clear. And this life is about getting clear and clear about what your mission is and mm. how that can help the human species evolve. That's our contribution at the end. And that's really important. And when you're aligned with that, when you're clear on that, all of a sudden, porn becomes less of a temptation. Mm. It really does. When you're, yeah. when you're engaged in a reciprocal dance with your purpose, it gives you all sorts of ideas and power and motivation. There's just yeah. no time or energy to wait. Time wasted is when we're stuck in limbo, when we're not in a healthy place. So yeah, anyway, this was not our intention to go here with our conversation, but that's called jazzing, right? We were jazzing, jazzing. and having a great time. I, did, I wanted to mention something that I'd want to tell to my porn addicted old self, because that's relevant to a lot of people. And that would primarily be about many, many, many limiting beliefs that I had about my porn habit back then, and that people believe is are true currently that have a porn habit that are just not true. Okay. One of the main beliefs I had at the time was I need porn, like subconsciously or consciously, that's a belief I held. I need porn because it helps me regulate my emotions or my mood or it helps me relax. That's not true at all, actually. Another belief that I had was it's going to be really hard and a long process to quit porn. And I need to somehow wean off of it, if that makes sense. Like, it's going to take a long time to quit porn, which is an interesting thought. And I know people disagree with that, but I want people hearing this to ask themselves, if you have a porn habit, like, why does it have to take so long? Why does it have to be such a difficult process? Anyone who has quit porn, at some point, it was just the last time they acted out was the last time they acted out and wasn't an issue again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, was it because they had to wean off of it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, no, you know it's what? like you're, you're a porn user or you're not a porn user. So at one point, everybody who beat porn, that was the last time. And it was just a day. It was just one thing that just was it. Go ahead. Yeah, tip the scale. So that's a really important point that I will interview um, Josh Fontaine in the next few weeks, actually, get him on the podcast because he's the example that I, I really love because it took him three or four years of working on himself before it took him one second to actually get it. It took him an instant. It took him a moment to recognize his value and to completely mm -hmm. shift how he felt about himself. But it took all that instantaneous, uh, sorry, it took a lot of kind of lead up to that. But the actual shift just took a very brief amount of time. So uh, yeah, we will get him on the podcast, everybody. That is my promise. I'll get him back. He's already been here with his family once, but we're going to get him nice. back to talk about that because. 
when you understand that, yeah, what you're talking about is people, this self-fulfilling prophecy for a lot of people like, oh, this takes a long time. So therefore it takes a long time because that's their expectation. Yeah. But it takes as long as you need it to take. The journey is really important, obviously, but to rid yourself of like a really destructive habit, honestly, it takes a moment of clarity for mm-hmm. you to hop through that window and to be in a completely different space. Yeah, that's a good teaser. Thank yeah. You. So we'll get Josh on here. But anyway, Benji has to go. He's got to go to his appointment. Everybody got to go to my listening on our next episode. We will reveal maybe Benji's baby. <laughs> Why not? All right. Cool. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Benji. Peace. God bless. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together and sexual integrity involves other people, okay? If you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality, and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there. Thank you.